COVID-19 pandemic has affected nearly every aspect of patient care, and the importance of vaccination is just the next step in this hurdle. You can join PTCE in continuing the conversation about COVID-19 vaccines with the online COVID-19 Community Forum, an engaging platform for pharmacists across the country to share their experiences and discuss important issues related to COVID-19 and pharmacy practice. Start connecting with the virtual community today at covid19.pharmacytimes.org. That's covid19.pharmacytimes.org. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to PTCE's Pharmacy Connect a podcast focused on continuing education created by pharmacists for pharmacists. PTCE is the leader in pharmacy and managed care education. In these episodes, listeners will be presented with the most recent clinical updates and strategies for implementing into practice. Here's our host and founder of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, Todd Yuri. Vaccination hesitancy. This refers to the delay in acceptance or refusal of vaccines, despite the availability of vaccine services. This is a complex topic. There's very specific reasoning. Sometimes it it may be uh, lack of services being provided and or offered, or at least the thought of those services being offered. Plus, there's a lot of people throughout our country, 300 million plus people, don't trust the entire vaccine and or how it was developed or how they perceive it was developed. And when I think of the people that are public and population health are engaging, I know that pharmacists are seeing their patients a lot more often than primary care. This is a huge opportunity for pharmacists that are listening right now or other providers, nurse practitioners, physicians that are, are listening, psychologists that are listening. I'm excited to speak to a psychologist, Dr. Rachel Armstrong, about this topic specifically and in hearing her insights. Dr. Rachel Armstrong is a licensed clinical psychologist in New Hampshire in Massachusetts with expertise in health uh, psychology, and she received her doctorate in clinical psychology from the Massachusetts School of Professional Psychology, which is known as William James College in 2007. I'm really excited to welcome Dr. Armstrong to PTCE's Connects podcast with the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome, Dr. Armstrong. Thanks for having me. Wow, what a subject. And and the timeliness of this subject couldn't have have come sooner. Um, My own father, um, several of my um, friends, uh, cousins, I just went to a wedding with a family that we were talking about the uh, the vaccine and eyes would roll and some several people were like, I'm not getting it because I don't trust its development. And what do you think? And of course, I'm not a pharmacist. I'm not a medical provider, but I listen so intently to people like yourself and to people that are infusing our network with some of the best insights right now about the vaccine. And I send them so many podcast links because I'm like, please listen to this interview um, that will highlight and and hopefully give you um, a different feeling about the vaccine. But let's jump into this. Let's let's figure this out. Let's let's share with our listeners right now um, 
this whole topic about vaccine hesitancy. First of all, what are some reasons why um, there is we're even experiencing vaccine uh, hesitancy and why does it exist? Sure. It has been a popular topic, as you said, hearing it at weddings everywhere. Um, there's a lot of reasons why it exists, and it's also important just to know what it is. So we tend just to call this vaccine hesitancy, but it's really a pretty broad range. Um, we can look at four different categories. There's acceptors, vaccine hesitant, there's late vaccinators, and then there's the rejectors. So that will help us as we keep talking to think about how people are at very different stages. And vaccine hesitancy, it's not just an individual's belief. So a lot of what we'll talk about will target how do we speak to an individual, but we want to look at all of the contexts that vaccination occurs. So we've got the historical context, the political context, which has been huge through COVID, of course, the sociocultural context. Um, a certain model that's been really important with vaccination hesitancy is the socio-ecological model. And this talks about five levels of influence. So we look at the individual, we look at the interpersonal level, the organizational level, the community, and then public policy and environmental context. So even though a lot of these may seem like individual beliefs, it's helpful for pharmacists and other healthcare providers to look into that bigger context. And probably the most important part of talking about vaccine hesitancy, it always seems to circle back to social media. Yeah. So social media is a huge influencer of information and misinformation. And we know a lot of these reasons. Social media has a wide and fast reach. People get to speak anonymously. There's no scientific vetting necessary. So anybody wants to say something and there it is and it can reach a lot of people. And also with social media, what certain followers decide to like or follow then begins to shape what they see in the future. So then people tend to get more information that seems to validate what they initially think. And then pretty soon you're seeing content that continues to tell you more and more about what you initially saw. And anti-vaccine content in particular, it tends to have a lot more user engagement. So the content tends to have more vivid imagery. It tends to have more narrative. It can be really emotional. And there's less information that's going to be as exciting about just the facts. So people see a lot of it. It also contributes to ideas of the risks of the vaccine being really concrete and tangible, especially with side effects. For example, people see a lot of that. It catches their eyes, seems really concrete. And the benefits of the vaccination can be harder to imagine as a lot of people feel more individually influenced and less likely to think big picture of eliminating or greatly reducing the impact of COVID-19. Dr. Armstrong, I think of our providers as educators, mm -hmm. even beyond being a provider of, of medication, of treatments, of uh, psychological services that you provide to your patients. When I think of accident vaccination hesitancy among healthcare providers, this is where I think it, it can be accelerated in circles, in communities. And that bothers me more than just the average Joe or consumer that, that is vaccine hesitant, um, but being a provider. So can we jump into that subject as well? 
Sure. And research has shown with vaccines that if the provider has gotten the vaccine, they have higher numbers of their patients getting it. So we know that how they're communicating to their patients really matters. And a lot of this does come to that where if the provider is really confident in the vaccine and just says, today we're giving you X vaccine and here's the information you need, the patient is more likely to do it if the healthcare provider isn't confident isn't getting it themselves if they have that mistrust there and they sort of say, well, what do you think? And if the patient says, I don't know, they might say, yeah, just wait. And so then quickly the patient says, well, my doctor said, or my pharmacist said that they wouldn't get it. Um, So it becomes a lot trickier because we'd like to think that if the facts are there and there's that health literacy that people are getting it, but not all providers believe in it. So what are the cognitive distortions that may fuel vaccine hesitancy? You probably see this firsthand, not only with patients, but also providers. Sure. So everyone has cognitive distortions, and there's a lot of different types of them. And we all know them, you know, something like catastrophizing, like you think the worst thing's going to happen, or you say you had the worst day ever. You know, we all do this. It's about when those distortions are really fixed or rigid or pervasive. So a few of the ones that come up in psychology that seem really relevant, um, some have some overlap, but one is just frequency estimation. And quite simply, Someone hears a story about something that happens for a side effect of a vaccine. If it's a blood clot, all of a sudden that sticks in someone's head and they think that means it's likely and they don't hear as much about the other numbers. Or the attentional bias, which is more just what we pay attention to. Again, sort of like what's on social media, whatever the big thing that's vivid, that has a big emotional impact that's going to stick in someone's head. And even just overestimating that likelihood of those rare things. And it's really interesting that research has shown that people who were hesitant about vaccines and were more nervous about that rare negative event, they have that same kind of thinking about estimating any sort of negative mortality related events. So the same person who might say, well, I'm just too scared because I heard someone had a heart condition after is the same person who might think like, oh, well, I'm not going to take this medication because there's X side effect. So it really is a style of thinking, which I think is helpful for pharmacists and other healthcare providers, not to pathologize it, but just to sort of say, this is a style of thinking that gets in the way for people. Is there a way I can help make some changes here? So what is the most productive way to dispute people's cognitive distortions? So in therapy, we use cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT as most people call it. It's a great type of therapy that really helps to change some of these thoughts. Now, pharmacists we know aren't going to be doing a straightforward protocol of CBT, but it's good to really take away from CBT is it's a way of changing our feelings, our thoughts, our behaviors, Each one of these influences the other. So by changing our thoughts, we may be able to change our feelings and behaviors and vice versa. So we want to know what kind of thoughts people are having and what are the concerns someone has? What are they thinking? And maybe that helps say, oh, I see a cognitive distortion there. Is there something I can do to help change that? We want to evaluate these thoughts and providers want to see if they can change the distortion, see if they can provide new information. And how you react to these thoughts is really important. And this is a really key thought here that 
we don't want to react to a patient's belief as if it's wrong. Um, it's easy to quickly just want to say like, no, 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 that's not true. Um, again, using the example that a lot of people like to talk about with vaccine hesitancy around a blood clot, for example, people say like, oh no, I don't want to get it. I heard people are getting blood clots. Now, if the pharmacist or provider says, well, that's just not true. It's totally safe. The patient might not really budge because they may think like, well, I saw that. Mm -hmm. And so with cognitive behavioral therapy, we look at trying to acknowledge someone's thought and maybe it's saying like, you know, it sounds like you may have some concerns about the side effect of the vaccine. I saw an article and have heard about these patients who got blood clots after the vaccine. Let me tell you more information about that. And so meeting the patient with where their thought is and what may be rational within it, and then trying to talk about it without a sort of dismissal attitude. Um, this really helps just kind of get out the facts. The patient can feel like they've been listened to they haven't been shamed, and they may get some correct information that may really help move somebody along in that continuum of vaccine hesitancy. Dr. Armstrong, have you seen vaccine hesitancy in specific age groups more than others? I would say that more that I have seen have been younger, healthier people. Um, what I've tend to see in at least my patient population, I see some patients who have a lot of medical illnesses who have been very supportive, especially because they really feel that individual impact of this really protects me. And um, younger, healthier patients are much more, this doesn't really apply to me mentality and maybe less about side effects per se, but sort of that just, I don't trust it and I don't need it. I ask that because several articles on the Wall Street Journal, uh, the San Francisco Times, the Scientific American, ABC News, and Fortune all were talking about vaccine hesitancy among young people could stall uh, herd immunity. So that's why I brought that up because I found it very interesting before our interview started that, um, that it's a younger uh, generation that is um, that is most hesitant, which really plays into what you just shared. It's this 18 to 25 age group. It is. And that's an age group where they may be thinking more about themselves sometimes and thinking more concretely and not as clearly about that big picture of how this can help. And it is an interesting age group to target in terms of thinking, what can we challenge about their thinking individually and in their community? When I think of preventing arguments through cognitive behavioral therapy, it comes back to what I was taught about interviewing. And as a podcaster, if I get into issues that are uh, debatable, um, I have to be very respectful to someone or a multitude of people that may be part of the interview to bring out as much of their insights as possible without pigeonhole or, or getting someone feeling like they're in a corner or feeling argumentative. So I really like these ideas. And I want to come back to that motivational interviewing strategy for the pharmacists that are listening right now, even pharmacy technicians that are listening right now. So what is, the, what is motivational interviewing and how can it be used to help people choose to get the vaccine? Well, sort of like what you're saying, it's so important to try and meet people and try and open up to get people's thoughts without shutting it down or letting that escalate. So... 
you know, the pharmacists are going to be hearing a lot of what people are thinking and trying to help address this hesitancy. So the motivational interviewing is based upon a stages of change model. And this is really popular in substance abuse. And a lot of people tend to think of this. So there's five stages, pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, and maintenance. So when we're looking at pre-contemplation, there's no intention of changing the behavior, or in this case, just rejector. I'm not getting that vaccine. So the primary task here when someone's in that pre-contemplation stage is just to raise awareness. Again, it's not going to be to convince them because that's going to raise resistance. And then you have contemplation, which is someone saying, you know, they're going to change their behavior in the next six months. So that may be someone who says, well, I might get it, but I'm just going to wait. And the primary task here is to work to resolve ambivalence. And we'll come back to this one because that's a lot of room to work there. And then in preparation, this is someone who says, I'm intending to take action, you know, maybe in this next month. So this might be more about resources. If it's the vaccine, is this available? Where can I get this? What do I need to know if I had some fatigue the next day? Do I need support from my employer? What can I problem solve here? And then action and maintenance, they're a little more related to relapse prevention and sustaining, which doesn't apply as much to vaccine hesitancy, of course. So the motivational interviewing goes off these stages of, you know, most importantly, you have the stage of needing to engage the patient, expressing empathy. There's no blaming or shaming for their view. Again, and what I had said before, the provider needs to be confident. And it's important. Some providers may feel like, well, if I'm too empathic, am I saying that I'm doubting it? And yes, you have to be careful to say, I am confident in the safety of this vaccine. And you can still say, tell me what your concerns are. What sort of information have you heard that's worrying you? So there's no blaming or shaming and really trying to have the patient open up about that. And then the next stage tries to focus on what the conflict is, explore the ambivalence. And it's really siding with the patient. And like you said, as an interviewer, you have to kind of meet somebody where they are and then to feel like they may get to the other side. So you roll with the resistance. And that's the term that helps us say, how do we convey that the ambivalence makes sense? And try and support the patient in making their own decision. And that's a lot of them feeling like they have self-efficacy, they have control in their choices. Now, with substance use, it might make more sense to say, well, someone's grappling with pros and cons of alcohol. I can see why they're ambivalent. With the vaccine, it's a little trickier, but it's an opportunity for the patient to say how they feel. Um, if someone says that they think the vaccine isn't safe, you can validate as a provider. Well, I could understand you'd be nervous after reading that. That makes sense. Let's talk more about that study. Um, or if someone says, I think COVID's going away, it doesn't really matter if I get it, I'm one person. If you say, of course it matters, you need to get it, probably be more resistant. But if instead it's more of a, it sounds like you're just not sure it will make a difference to the prevalence of COVID-19. Maybe someone says, well, I know everyone does matter and lots of people have gotten it, or maybe one person makes a difference. And so maybe some people really do come around more and then allows the provider to give some more information and feel like they can come to a decision where the patient feels empowered. 
So for pharmacists out there listening, you've probably heard of the teach back method. The teach back method is also called the show me method. And it's widely used in communications by healthcare providers to confirm whether a patient um, or caretakers for that matter, understand what is being explained to them. So Dr. Armstrong, let's get into the teach back method. Can the teach back method be an effective use uh, to overcome or help uh, patients and consumers overcome vaccine hesitancy? It can. And I love the teach back method just in sort of motivational interviewing as that part of the core that comes back to not shaming the patient, working with the patient in a collaborative way that helps people really understand choices they're making in their care. So with the teach back method, again, you're avoiding that medical jargon. You're using simple sentences. You're limiting the amount of information you're covering. And that first step of triaging in the case of vaccines, it's important where you say, what's the most important information that I give? Well, we're not even going to be able to do that unless we find out what the patient is concerned about. Is it a side effect? Is it they're concerned what their community would think or what their family would think because of their belief? Um, without knowing, you might not know how to triage. If someone might have no concern about side effects and the provider just tells them that, that's not really going to be helpful. And then giving the patient some tools, really great to think about handouts. Handouts can be really helpful, um, but important to think, what are the handouts? A lot of vaccine information sheets are way too advanced in terms of literacy, and a lot of people do not have the ability to read that, and certainly when it's a different content than they're used to. And then there's that taking responsibility piece. So finding out a way to say, I want to make sure I communicate this really well to you. What did you hear today? And that way the patient doesn't feel responsible to know, but it's the onus is on the provider. And again, helps create a better relationship to have these conversations. And then having the patient tell you what they learned. And again, that might be a really nice stepping off point for some of the motivational interviewing skills to try and see, okay, where are they still stuck? Is there other information? Where is there some ambivalence? I got COVID-19 in March of 2021, as did my wife, my daughter, and my father-in-law. We all live in the same home. My nine-year-old did not get it. And my 11-year-old who comes to our house uh, every other week, uh, we had her stay away, but she also didn't get it. And our symptoms were all over the place. I was exhausted. I really didn't have any respiratory issues. My wife had a cough. Actually, to this day, she still has this strange lingering cough that seems to come in and out of, of existence. And my older daughter uh, was fine. Uh, my Thank goodness, my, um, my father-in-law, who is 74 years old, he was absolutely okay. Desiree Krishner, who's my pharmacist at Brownsville Family Pharmacy right here in Brownsville, Pennsylvania, she gave me the Johnson & Johnson one-time shot and said, you know, here's the typical um, things that you might experience, you know, soreness in the arm, you might feel tired, you might feel, you know, like you might be getting the flu or something, but don't worry, you'll probably in within 24 to 48 hours, you'll be okay. She also said, if you had COVID, you probably won't feel as sick at all because your body's already building up immunities and it's almost like a reaffirming to your system that, uh, that you're, you're building up these immunities. So I didn't have any um, effect whatsoever. I had a little bit of soreness in the arm for a day and then I was like, fine, I was absolutely okay. But I actually have to admit that I had vaccine hesitancy 
from the point of having to stop and start my busy work week to actually even go get the vaccine. <laughs> and my hesitancy was about my scheduling. And I really think of people that are busy in our marketplace. I think of busy pharmacists. I think of, you know, my wife's a nurse and how busy you know, she is in her job. And I think that there may be instances of vaccine hesitancy that come down to scheduling and really just pushing it off, not realizing how important it is. Have you heard from some of your patients based on just their lifestyles and hesitancy? Absolutely. And a lot of that can be that organizational level. And I think some businesses have really tried to address this, right? Because some people say, I can't really take the time off or I have PTO, but like I might need it later when my kid's sick or I want to go on vacation this summer. And if you don't really feel like you are someone who might be at high risk for developing COVID in a way that might be dangerous, you might say, I don't really want to do it. Um, and it is hard to prioritize, especially because as you don't know, you might feel fine or you might be a little down and out for a day. Again, I feel like it's really helpful for them to be educated because I have heard more people say, my company is absolutely saying, we are covering your work. Please take two days off. We don't want this to get in the way. We are prioritizing. And what a great message to trickle down for people because otherwise they're saying, is my employer even going to support me taking time off if I'm sick or who's going to do my work? Am I going to lose my weekend over this vaccine? So in wrapping up, and it's been such a pleasure talking with you, Dr. Armstrong, and your insights um, have been so valuable to us and for our listeners. Listeners out there, if you have questions, you know, tweet um, the uh, Pharmacy Podcast, reach out to Pharmacy uh, Times uh, CE as well. Um, we're always uh, collecting great questions for follow-up. But as a final question, what would you say is the single most important takeaway for our pharmacists listening in today? I think the most important piece is to really work on that understanding and validation of your patient's beliefs and feeling like you can hear those and understand them and empathize with a patient and then still have that confidence to communicate the information, give them the correct information, and hope that can resolve some of the ambivalence. That's terrific. This has been a wonderful conversation. Like I said, it was timely. Uh, pharmacists out there, if you um, if you have any uh, follow up, if you have any questions, any comments, please uh, let us know. This has been a wonderful investment um, for us to constantly are pushing out evidence-based uh, medicine, evidence-based discussions around different topics that are impacting patients everywhere. And we know that pharmacists are seeing patients 10 times to one on average for their uh, primary care. So this is very important that you pharmacists understand what your patients are thinking and talking with them more and letting them know that they can trust you and that you wouldn't have them do something that wasn't in their best interest. But Dr. Rachel Armstrong, thank you so much for being a guest on today's PTCE uh, Pharmacy Connect podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the PTCE Pharmacy Connect podcast. Your feedback is important to us. Please share with us your thoughts on this episode and other topics you'd like to learn about. Go to pharmacytimes.org forward slash contact and send us a message.